This recording is brought to you by Whitworth University. To hear additional programs, please visit www.whitworth.edu backslash podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure and my honor to be with you while we allow the children to transition, which is a good thing. It's been wonderful to watch them all and leaders. You guys are awesome, awesome. Uh, but I know I want to be focused on you. And there's some people all the way in the back, and you may want to come up front now. And so if you'd like to, this is your chance, amen, to get a front row seat. That's right. I would bust the move right now. I sure would. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Come on forward. So, that's right. So, last night was a wonderful joy for me. And this morning, I'm telling you, you do want to come for the exposition in the morning. Um, I bought a whole pad. I went to the bookstore as soon as you got finished, and I bought a complete legal pad. I'm ready. Tomorrow, I'm ready. <laughs> so I praise the Lord. For those of you who weren't with us last night, I am Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil. And more than anything to know about me is I love God with all my heart, and I love God's people. I'm pleased to be one of your speakers for this weekend, uh, for this week, and very honored for this opportunity to explore the scriptures with you. We uh, have been looking at the theme, who, me, a call for Christian leaders for such a time as this. And each night I'm slowly walking through the book of Esther, a book that has captured my imagination and will probably be the next book that I write about um, or write from, because this woman for me has become a prototype of what Christian leadership needs to look like for such a time as this. And my deepest, deepest prayer is that God would so use the word of God to mobilize us, the people of God, so that we would be on mission for the kingdom of God in a time that is so desperately needing to see it on display. Amen? So if you want to know my agenda, that's my agenda. And I go for it hard. So, so I give my whole heart over to this because I believe that the word of God is the truth. And I believe that the truth will make us free. So with that, would you please hear the word of God from Esther chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. And you can read from the screens in front. I'll read uh, here as you listen to the word of God and follow along. When these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in the citadel of Susa, both great and small, a banquet lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and blue hanging tides and blue hangings tied with cords of fine linen and purple silver rings and marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and colored stones. Drinks were served in golden goblets, goblets of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drinking was by flagons without restraint. For the king had given orders to all the officials of his palace to do as each one desired. Furthermore, 
Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the palace of King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the king was merry with wine now, he commanded Mehumen, Bithsba, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagatha, and Zethra, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing the royal crown in order to show the peoples and the officials her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged, and his anger burned within him. This, my brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, it is not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. And we thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We thank you that you have said to us, don't be conformed any longer to this world system and how it thinks, operates, or understands itself. But you be transformed, you be different, and it will happen by the renewing of your mind. So speak, Lord. Because we need a word from you. We need to hear from you. Would you capture our attention? Arrest our attention. Cause us to give you our full, undivided attention. That you might speak the word of life to us. We declare this night that we shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Speak, Lord, for we ask it in the matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Just for those who are joining us tonight, and you may not have been with us last night, this is the talkative session. Amen. You can say amen a lot. I don't believe that we were here because of the way the stage is set that you get to observe and I get to work hard. It's not the way church works. Amen. The way church works is that we are supposed to magnify the Lord. Talk to me together, right? That's why the Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together so let's exalt his name together if you hear the word of God and it bears true with you know that for me amens aren't entertainment but I believe that the redeemed of the Lord are supposed to say so and if you are redeemed of the Lord and you hear the word of the Lord you bear witness to what is being said by saying let that be so that is so the word of the Lord so know that sometimes people do things so they feel like, well, she needs an amen. I really don't. I, I, I amen a lot. But what I need is the participation of the people of God to know that this is the work of God for all of us. Amen? Well, let me start preaching now. And let me look at what time it is so I can make sure I land the plane exactly when I'm supposed to. All right. Praise God. Here we go. 
I have been told that there is an African proverb that is asked in the form of a question. And, and, and this question is interesting because it is rooted in a belief that all people are born with purpose written into the very fabric of their being. This African proverb suggests that there is no one who is here by accident, that you, if you are here, present, and visible to us, you were here for a reason. God intended you to be on the planet. Nobody was a mistake, whether your mom and dad planned it or not, whether you were the most well prepared for a baby or not, the fact that you showed up on the planet means that you began in the heart and mind of God. Doesn't the Bible say that we, for, we were formed in our parents' womb and our mother's womb? God knows us. And so this belief of this African uh, 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 community says, we believe that you would not be here if God didn't want you here. So they say to one another, a question that is both proverbial and prophetic. They say, what called you forth? What called you forth? By essence, they're saying, why were you born? What is the purpose of your presence on earth? Uh-huh. Why did God cause you to be born at such a time as this? Why at this point in history did you grow to be this age, have this job, have this uh, reach, this influence? What called you forth? What do you think is happening in the world right now that caused it to be necessary for you to be born? Why are you on the planet? What do you think God had in mind for the unique expression of God's will? in the earth through you what called you forth that's a question now hallelujah that's way better than what do you think about them and you name your team right how's the weather what called you forth here in our text Hadassah was not looking for leadership I promise we talked about her last night and I'm just here to tell you she's a normal young lady who has probably the same normal young people stuff that anybody who would in her situation probably be facing and feeling. She was minding her own business. She was not a political animal of any type or sort. She wasn't trying to be socially engaged or socially active. She was living in a small town with her father and she was an obedient young woman who seemed to have a devout heart for God, who was a, a, a woman who, a young woman who was growing in, uh, into age and was looking toward her future. But unbeknownst to her, there was something happening in the big city called Susa. Ah, far away from the little community in which she lived, no doubt a rural town like many of the places from which you hail, she was just there kind of minding her business in this small kind of town where everybody knew each other. But there was something else happening in the big city of Susa. There were other things happening in this place that was the the judicial, legislative, social, cultural, political center of that day. It was the place where laws were made and decisions were, 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 were enacted that impacted people's lives. But she was not paying attention to that. She wasn't a person who was a part of this big government issue and system. She was just a little farm town girl trying to live a normal life in a small town. 
Ah, but over in Susa, even though she was unaware of it, there were some things happening. There's a king, Xerxes, who, uh, or Hasserus, based upon your translation, was the ruler of this vast empire. This empire stretched over 127 provinces, and for us, it's the modern-day span of Egypt to India. He's got wealth beyond words. He has reached beyond any of my ability to imagine. And so here the king has of Persia who is a man of around 36 years, who ruled, by the way, for 22 years. He has come into this kind of succession of being the king. And I'm not sure if he was the greatest king in the world. The Bible doesn't seem to speak very highly of, of him. It seems to depict him more of a shallow, impetuous, and out of touch with the day-to-day events taking place in his empire but man oh man did he want to be perceived as impressive one another flaw that I might want to add here is that he loved drinking parties <laughs> amen <laughs> and he failed to take responsibility for the decisions made by his subordinates on his behalf all of this is real important backdrop information about this king of Persia, Xerxes. So now in our text, we find him throwing a party. Now we need to understand that this is not any old kind of party. It has been preceded by a military display. I used to wonder when I would see uh, heads of state who would have our president or other dignitaries come to their country and we would see this big kind of military parade with the marching, you know, all of this stuff and the tanks coming and the missiles going off. And I used to wonder what was all of that about, you know? Uh, uh, just kind of why, why is everybody marching in formation and what is this all about? Well, it's to show the might of this king. The fact that there are these people in such allegiance to him that he has such control and, and, and ability to blow you up and you need to recognize. That's what he's saying without saying it. You don't want to mess with me. Amen. He's trying to say, look at all the stuff we got. And in a moment's notice, if you tried to invade us, we would take you out. And then after he made that statement, he had a party. He was like, now you know who you're messing with. Now let's have a party. And this was a party beyond parties. All of the who's who were there. All of the dignitaries from all of his provinces gathered, and there were no expenses spared. He lavished everything on everyone. It was open season for anything that you could imagine or think. If you wanted to eat the delicacies of the kingdom, it was brought to you on a silver platter, and people could not imagine the wealth of this king. If you wanted to drink yourself into a complete stupor over the, the course of weeks of drinking, you were just about done, but it was still free flowing. Are you getting it? The beauty and the opulence that he could put on display, the entertainment that he could present, there was ooing and aahing going on constantly. How about we try that? So he brings out magicians and he brings out, out, out acrobatics and it's Ooh, and then he tops it and he goes, let me show you this. And he brings out wealth and gold and opulent and they, ah, it's nuts in this party. It's something. 
something happening. People don't know what to do, what to think. It's crazy. But at some point, he has brought out everything that anybody could ever hope to see or think. And they've run out of things to ooh and ah about. And so... One of the things that I found very interesting in commentaries about him is he surrounded himself with a group of advisors whose main purpose in life was to tell him what he wanted to hear. So may I take a a, a parenthetical pause for a second and say, be careful who you surround yourself with. Who are your closest advisors? Who do you listen to? Amen. What are the sources of information for you? Because we need to be careful who we allow to be the voices who speak close to us. Amen. You may want to pick the people around you who flow in wisdom and they have a track record on wisdom amen because poor political advisors are destined to give poor political advice I told you I can say amen for myself and I mean it and I mean it too I'm telling you we need to watch who has our ear and, 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 and the, the types of voices who tell us what they think we should preach about, think about, talk about. These poor political advisors continue to give poor political advice. And because they have been drinking too much, I could take another pro, uh, parenthetical pause and say, that's why we should be careful about mind-altering substances. Amen. Whether we legalize them or not, because I want you to know there are stupid things people do when they are drunk or high. Amen. 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 You want to take some things back because you feel like now when you can't find your own keys, your own glasses, your own hat, you don't know your own name. There's a problem with that. Talking to somebody in here, amen. (laughs) And I mean it. And so this king has run out of things to entertain people with. He's also drunk, and his people are all drunk. And so now we have this party of men, because Vashti is in another part of the palace entertaining women, which was the custom of that day, and still is in many places around the world, where men gather in one section and women gather in another. And so they have run out of things in the men's party. They have seen all the harem girls do all the harem stuff, and so now these poor political advisors have to come up with something that might uh, impress the king for something else he can bring out to wow the crowd. And somehow the cockamamie idea comes up to go get the queen. Mm -hmm. So they decide that they should go get the queen. Uh, uh, Now I've learned just by getting ready to be with you that for some political purposes it's told in history that he married a queen that he did not like, which is why he may have sought pleasure uh, with beautiful harem women. We're not sure if this is Vashti, but I'm, I'm interested in this because it is a very demeaning thing that he is asking her to do. He is basically telling his attendants to go to the queen's part of the palace and ask her to come back wearing her crown and dress up and parade in front of his friends. Now get that picture. They are drunk. They are in a stupor by now. They have been gluttonous. And she is supposed to come into that room, that crowd, and parade herself for their entertainment. So I wasn't there, but in my sanctified imagination, 
I think that when the, the attendants went to the queen and told her what this plan was, I think she said something like, who? Me? He wants me to do what? And she refuses. She says, oh, au contraire. I, I cannot come. I, I, I will not come. I'm the queen, for goodness sake. People don't gawk at me. People lower their gaze when I walk in a room. Just think about what we see with the Queen of England. People curtsy and bow in a sense of honor of the stature of this person. And she's thinking to herself, so they've gotten done with harem girls, and so now I'm supposed to come in to your drunken stupor party and somehow be their entertainment? I can't demean myself like that. I refuse. No. Now, if I could, my brothers and sisters, I would start a Vashti movement. Amen, amen, amen. Vashti, Vashti, Vashti. I mean, I would literally have a Vashti movement because I appreciate this woman. I appreciate her modeling for us that sometimes some things just ain't for sale. That your self-esteem and your self-worth and your dignity and your self-respect, you've got to know who you are for your own self. Even if the people who say they love you can't affirm you and can't value you, we must value ourselves. I think Vashti knew she might get in trouble. She knew the law like everybody else knew the law. But sometimes you have to be courageous enough to do the thing you know will get you in trouble. Because you have enough dignity and self-respect and human worth not to compromise the essence of who you are. And sure enough, the decision is to banish her. And it probably hurt for her to have taken such a courageous stand. And I'm here to tell you that whoever told us that when we stand up for the cause of the kingdom and the dignity of human life, that we won't get in trouble, they have told us a lie because it's not true. But it's still worth doing. It's still worth it. Because sometimes there are things that are worse than being put out. Amen. Sometimes there's worse things that can happen than people unfriending you from Facebook. Just let them do it. Amen. Sometimes I just get unfriended. I race you. If you try to unfriend me, I go, bam, first. I'll just unfriend you first. <laughs> because I'm not going to stop saying this. And if this makes you uncomfortable, unfriend me. Amen. I'm cool with it. Because the people of God have got to know that God affirms the image of God. And that when something calls me to demean the image of God in me, the answer is no. So my sister, whoever it is, if brother says the relationship is off, if you don't, well then just say, hasta la vista. If somebody says that you're not going to be able to get the job, if you don't compromise your core values, then you might have to seek employment someplace else. Amen. And so Vashti knows that she's going to have to bear the weight of this. And the interesting thing is we don't hear much more about Vashti after this. 
but I believe that she left with her dignity intact. I believe she left with her self-esteem intact. I believe that on the next day she could look herself in the mirror. Have you ever been in something where you knew you should have and you didn't? And the next day it was even hard for you to reconcile it with yourself. The Vashti movement says, this is not that day. And this calls for courageous leadership who have a moral compass, who does that which is not popular. Vashti is my role model in this text. So now the party is all over. Everybody's gone. Used to be a soul song when I was a little girl that said, nobody likes you when you're down and out. And so now the king's folks are gone. The party's over there. Drank all of his stuff, ate all his food. <laughs> and he's left alone. And he realizes that he's made a really big mistake. He doesn't apologize to his wife, which I think would have been a really good thing to do. <laughs> but those same political advisors who give what kind of political advice? Poor political advice. Because they're trying to say what they think will make him happy. So they, and they each are vying for, he likes my answer better than yours. So they come up with a new scheme. Scheme one was go get the queen. Scheme two, fix it by having a beauty contest. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> so this is the deal. We're going to have a beauty contest. And this beauty contest is going to allow us to now go find all the PYTs. All the pretty young things in all of your empire, and you will get to pick the fairest of them all. For whatever reason, this sounds good to the king. <laughs> and my brothers and my sisters, that's when the social and political decisions made over here in Susa have a direct impact on what's happening over here on the farm. That's when what the laws and the legislative decisions and the social, cultural, political climate over here has implications for what's happening in my home and in my neighborhood and in my community and in your church. Hadassah didn't see it coming, and my guess is neither do we. I think we don't think of ourselves as political animals or political junkies, but I'm beginning to see what called her forth. She didn't go looking for it. Timing found her and began to literally call her into leadership. I don't think she volunteered, and I've heard some people preach Esther, and, and, and I disagree so with the, the interpretation that they derive from this text because they make it sound as if she used her womanly wiles to somehow sashay her way into the favor of the king. This is not what this text suggests. This is more like human trafficking. This is more like, oh, my God. Something is happening that's beyond her control, and it's undeniable, and it's political in nature. So my brothers and sisters, what, what's calling you forth? 
What's happening in the social, political, cultural climate in which we live that seems to be demanding your leadership? I can only say what I'm beginning to notice for me. I, I, I'm beginning to understand that, that there's a social political climate that whether I want to participate in it or not, it has impact on me as a Christian person, as a leader, as a mother, as a, as, as a, as a minister. These things are not something that I can somehow get in a holy huddle and, and, and disregard. I can't just insulate myself from what's happening in the world around me and think somehow me and my crew will stay safe. Ah, it seems to me that the Bible is suggesting that those of us who are in this world have got to be like the sons of Issachar. We have got to be people who can discern the times in which we live to determine what we are supposed to do. That's in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. And I believe that God needs to raise up sons of Issachar who can discern the time. And the people of God said, Amen. For me... I slowly started getting called forth by my love for Spanish. Anybody who knows me knows that I have every intention to become fluent in Spanish. Now, I might be in heaven by the time I get there, but I am going to be in the Latino section in heaven. Amen. And I'm going to be talking, talking, talking just fluently. But about amen. Order for me. So, three years ago, I went to Costa Rica, and I went to Costa Rica because I wanted to go to language school, and what I kept hearing from people was if I really wanted to learn to speak Spanish, I would need to immerse myself, that you can't keep kind of toe in, toe out if you really wanted to learn a language. You have to really be in the culture and, and be a part of it. So, I and my husband and my family gave me permission to spend a, a, a two months in Costa Rica completely learning to speak Spanish. And I loved every second of the hard work of learning to, to, to be a person who could not just speak a language but internalize what it is to be in another country. I, I, I want you to know that it wasn't easy. It was quite hard. And I had great empathy for anybody who's in another country and it's difficult to speak the language. I have a doctorate degree, but most of the time I felt like I was in third grade. Uh, the, 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 the words that I know how to speak, the human that I used to get through. I couldn't use any of that. I remember once I went to the bank and walked back out because the thought of trying to explain to the teller what I needed was so hard that I just, I just couldn't. Somebody thought I was shy. <laughs> because it even changed my personality because things that I would usually do, I couldn't do. So a deep sense of empathy really happened inside my soul for people from any other country who is in any place where they're foreign. And I couldn't imagine being there with my children. I was trying to figure out how to take a taxi for myself. I couldn't even think about getting lost with my kids. So after two months, I'm better, not fluent, but better and I'm on my way back home. I'm going through customs, and there's two lines. It's for United States citizens and Canadians. I was very surprised by the Canadian part, but that's what it says, United States citizens and Canadians, and then all, everybody else. 
right? Non-residents is what, the, what is the sign said. So, you know, everybody's filing through. I'm going through my line. And I had a thought. It's interesting how things come in your mind, and you don't even know that stuff is in you yourself. But the thought was, as I looked at all of the people in the uh, line toward United States citizens and Canadians, there was so much diversity in that line you wouldn't even imagine. I saw people from, it looked like Latino people, uh, African-American people, white people, Canadian people, Indian people. It was a beautiful thing. But I began looking at our line going from the U.S. citizens and the non-residents, and it looked like we were as diverse as the non-residents line. And then I thought, we've already got enough diversity in our country. That's misreconciliation talking there. <laughs> now, I don't know if God has ever stood in line with you. But as I was in that line and that thought came through my mind, I had this moment where I felt like God and I had a conversation. I felt like God literally said to me, do you believe I have enough resources for everyone? This morning, one of the things that you talked about was scarcity thinking. And do we manage and steward out of scarcity or abundance? And I realized I was thinking in scarcity. I began thinking, we already have enough. We can't take any more. We better batten down the hatches. And God began showing me, do you believe that I own the thousand, cattle on a thousand hills? Do you believe that heaven and earth is mine? Do you believe that I'm the God who can take care of everybody? And so trying not to look schizophrenic, I thought, I said out loud, yes, Lord. And then the Lord said, do you believe that I love you and that I will provide for you? And I said, yes, Lord. And then the third question, do you believe that what I want for you, I want for everybody else? And now I'm crying. And I said, yes, Lord. Now, why that story is so important is because while I was in Costa Rica, I got an email from somebody in Washington, D.C. with IJM who asked me to come and participate in an evangelical roundtable. I told them that I was coming back from Costa Rica and I wasn't sure. And they said, we will pay for you to make it from Costa Rica to Washington, D.C. because we'd like you as an African-American woman who talks about reconciliation and is a recognized leader in this work to, to share your heart about immigration. And I thought, I don't know anything about immigration. I'm not really good at that. That's not my area of expertise. But I agreed because I thought I could at least show up and maybe I'll learn some things about immigration. So, now I'm in line and God is dealing with me. <laughs> and I began sensing all of this is happening in line. I'm telling you, you never know where God's going to show up. Amen? You just never know where God's going to talk to you. You thought you would just come into a nice little family conference and God is slaying us. <laughs> With, with, with the word of God, 
That's what was happening for me. And so as I was in line, now tears starting to well in my eyes because I realized that I do believe that from the time that Abram was called, that the call of Abram was not so that he would just be blessed, but that he would be a blessing and that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That was why he couldn't number the stars in the sky because it was supposed to be everybody's family was supposed to get to be blessed. Not just my family, not just your family, but Syrian families. And Iraqi families and Native American families, amen, Nigerian families and Cambodian families and Vietnamese families, all, Russian families, all the families of the earth were intended to be blessed from the very beginning. And God said to me in that line, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And I had to say, yes, Lord, I do believe that. So what is this? We got enough stuff going. And then I realized something about going to this immigration rally. That you can't say that you love people because when I tell you I love Latino people, I do. And when I tell you that I love Spanish, I do. But God says you can't say you love those people and not care about the policies that impact those people. They go together. Amen. They go together. You can't say that you love me and not care about the things that impact me. You can't say that you want me to thrive and not want me to get an education. God says you can't say you love Latino people and not care about one of the major issues that face that community. So when I got to the immigration rally, my brothers and sisters, I was wrecked. <laughs> and I tell you, I so thought I was going to be fluent when I got back from Costa Rica, but I wasn't. But... As I got on the plane from my flight from where I was to Washington, D.C., I pulled out my little dictionary and I tried to write at least a greeting in Spanish. I knew I couldn't give my whole testimony in Spanish. I'm not that good. But I said to them three years ago, Buenos tardes, mis hermanos y hermanas de todos de tribus y naciones. Yo les ayudo en el nombre de Jesús Cristo. Vengo aquí hoy directamente de Costa Rica, donde yo estuve estudiando español el mes pasado. Estudiar otras lenguas es muy importante para mí porque el mundo está cambio, cambiando. No podemos ser agentes de Dios en aislamiento. Creo que tenemos que misión que efectu efectuar y tenemos que hacerlo juntos. Por lo tanto, estoy hoy reunida con ustedes en solidaridad de apoyar la reforma de inmigración. I said to them, good afternoon, my brothers and sisters in Christ from every tribe and every nation. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here, I've come here directly from Costa Rica where I was studying Spanish for the past month. I'm learning to speak other languages because it's very important to me because the world is changing. We cannot be the people of God in isolation from each other. I believe that we have a great mission and we must do it together. So for that reason, I am here today united with you in solidarity to stand for immigration reform. 
It was about third grade Spanish. But my brothers and my sisters, they loved on me. And they gave me great affirmation for trying because they realized that I was trying to discern the time in which we live and trying to live in a way that demonstrated that I understand that it's asking something different of me. So as I conclude tonight, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us. I want to ask us to become more insightfully aware of the social and political climate that we're living in today. Underscore the word insightfully, because someone has said about those of us who live in the United States that we are over-informed and under-educated, or over-educated and under-informed, I had it backwards, that we have a lot of education, but we tend to get our sources from the same places over and over again, and now news has become not information, but affirmation. So insightful awareness about what's going on around us means that we have got to seek out alternative sources to really figure out what's happening here. That means we have to get proximate and really talk to people. I met a Baptist pa pastor at that immigration rally, and he and I are probably as different. He was from Texas. I'm from Seattle, and he went to a seminary that doesn't believe in women in ministry. I went to one that does. And I'm telling you, under normal circumstances, we wouldn't have been in the same room together. But he was at that same rally, and you know what he said? Because he got proximate enough to what was happening that he learned something that made him come. He learned, he saw a man get shot in front of his church being robbed, a Latino man. And that man tied something around his leg, and the pastor said, sir, let me take you to the hospital, let me take you to the hospital. And the man would not go to the hospital for fear. And that man came to the rally. He stood in front of news cameras, that Baptist pastor, and he said, I wouldn't treat a dog like that. And he said, now I've learned that there are people who prey on undocumented people because they know that if they're raped, the women won't, won't go to the police. If we rob and shoot them, they won't go tell anybody. And so they're being picked off. That's not the kingdom of God. And so here's my question. What's calling us forth? What type of Christian leadership is necessary in a social political climate like the one in which we live right now? My prayer is that we would come to the conclusion that we are not born by accident, that not one of us is here by mistake that we got to be the age we are with the influence we have to be in a room like this, to pastor the church we have, to live in the community we have, to know the people we know, because God knew before we were born that we were going to be needed for such a time as this.